sent me this over the weekend. And you might recognize it. Some Red Hot Chili Peppers don't stop, but it's just the guitar. Oh, so good. I love that chord progression. How rhythmic it is, even without any drums or anything. Yeah, you've been really into, what's his name, John Frusciani? John Frusciani, apparently. Frusciani, okay. So good. He's a rhythmic genius, in my opinion. He speaks to my soul. Right. Like, the entire entirety of Stadium Arcadium, there are so many solos on there that can just make me cry. Right. There's so much, I mean... Like, I mean, sometimes when I feel like I need a little guitar, I don't know how much Frouche speaks. He does speak to me. He's awesome. Like, I mean, he's a rhythmic genius. But then sometimes I feel like I just need a little bit of guitar. Like, That's Prince, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, just a taste, folks. Yeah. Just a 10-second taste. Like, the folks who don't know, I love showing them. How good that guy is. Yeah, you, you saw it just a couple minutes <laughs> With Greg, he had <laughs> yeah. never seen the While My Guitar Gently Weeps' Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance. It's remarkable. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing to me that most people don't know Prince for his musicality. Like, how good he is at instruments. They just know him for his pop stuff. For his persona. Yeah. Like, oh, he was... Uh, who was it? It was Kim Jong? Or not, Kim Young? The... the comedic actor who's also a doctor. He was oh, just yeah. on Hot Ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he said his first concert, and the best concert of his life was Prince. the Purple Rain Tour mm-hmm. for Prince. And Prince did this thing where, like, he was grabbing his guitar, and it was spraying water on the crowd. And yeah. See, that's what people know. Like, he's this rude boy, and all this stuff. But as uh, Prince got older, especially in his late 40s and 50s, he just kind of dove into the music. And it's... Uh, did he ever bring back Dr. Fink. I'm, I don't know. Dr. Fink is so funky, though. He was good. And he's still alive and kick, kicking. Dr. Fink is, uh, like on the song uh, Head. Dr. Fink's the one... Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can guess what that song's about off the Dirty Mind album, but he's the one who did the synth solo, and he stayed with Prince even after the revolution was disbanded. He stayed in the MPG. Man, I know way too much about that guy. But it's just... It's a it's kind of a North Star model. Do you know what he's doing now? Think? Yeah. No, I have no clue. I have no idea what Frushani's doing now. Yeah, because didn't he do some work with Mars Volta? 
Well, okay. So I do know a little bit about that. In 2003 or 2002, whenever uh, Francis the Mute came out. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know that song Elvia Elviaquez? Yes. He's the one that did the guitar solos. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And he did a bunch of work on the next album, like Amputecture. Mm-hmm. And then he joined back up with the Chili Peppers, released their magnum opus, Stadium Arcadium. And oh, then he left in 2008. Album. And then the only thing I think he's done since then was that work with the lead singer, or the with Omar from Mars Volta. Mars yeah. Volta. That little like four song EP, right? And then I think he does electronic music now. Okay, but I'm well, not. I'm not sure. When you make a certain amount of money in the music business, and you now have that freedom to just do what you want and I, explore what you can do, I think he's just quit guitar. Though I, th- I don't think he plays guitar anymore. That's interesting. I mean, there are. It's my example is Prince, but there are albums that are guitar heavy. There are albums that are, you don't see it at all, like where he doesn't play it on tour. Yeah. Really? Like, okay, how, what can I do? What's the next challenge? I still have a musical mind, but I'm going to get off the, the loop I'm in. Did he sing on News? Did he sing on that? No, there's no uh, singing on that album. That is a good album to for folks, do stuff to. Yeah, for folks who don't know News, which is kind of an acronym for North, East, West, South, is a jazz album that won a Grammy that came out that Prince made with this live band like Rhonda and uh, John Blackwell on the drums and it's just it's jazz but it's also like only as Prince can do it it's weird folks it's really good stuff though like if you just like instrumental music that goes all over the place and it's not like the jazz that you know I was at this wedding recently at the Capital City Club for Eric and Emily and it was a beautiful occasion but as like the wedding starting like Emily has walked to the front of the festivities like to somebody playing live Chopin like on the piano it was beautiful she walked down the stairs of the Capital City Club to the first floor of it and to the piano playing and like the piano died out everybody kind of settled in and you could hear in the background that somebody had not turned down the club music completely to zero so in the background you heard like Coltrane or Miles <laughs> <laughs> Even I could see the pastor was like, "What the hell is this? I'm trying to conduct a wedding here. Do, do we have do we have bees? Do we have jazz on right now? This is not what Emily asked for." But yeah, it's not that type of jazz. It's pretty experimental, otherworldly stuff. Deserve that Grammy. And by the way, folks, if you're wondering what the hell we're talking about, we're just talking. We're just having a chat because I just double checked the news and I'm I double checked it again. There's not much in terms of big breaking. Like, this whole day, news-wise, has been, like, things that are upcoming. Yeah. In this weekend's talk circuit, things that are upcoming. If you double-check a double-check, is that a quadruple check? Or is that just very specific double-checking? Um, I think it's a quadruple check. Okay, so if you're quadruple-checking, are you minding your P's and Q's? Oh, uh, yeah, and crossing my T's and dotting my lowercase I's, as well as my J's. Oh, you, you dot your J's. You no, know, I lowercase J's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Ja, 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 ja. I just let the computer do that for me. But uh, anyway, there are things going on in the news. Like, what are we all anticipating this week? Well, I think the biggest one for world history and hopefully for just where we're moving as an entire human race is North Korea. I hope that gets solved. Will it? Who the hell knows? I don't think the president even knows. I don't think Pompeo knows. 
I think they're just working towards something. It ain't happening, Chief. I will say, I the school that I read and tend to follow is the so-called realist school. They're not quite as far as Ron Paul or certain libertarians or people on the left who are completely non-interventionist. But they're not as hawkish as, say, a, a Lindsey Graham or a Marco Rubio. They're not as like gung-ho to use U.S. military power every which way because they think it creates all sorts of unintended consequences spinoff effects usually lead to us using more military power it's um they tend to think we should be able to use our intimidation tactics use our might but use it wisely and in particular in the case of north korea stop what they were always calling for stop treating the north korean situation as just about the nuclear threat so like a humanitarian situation Humanitarian, but also letting those interesting cultural differences at, like, reasons beyond the military's pointing a lot of artillery and, if not, nukes at one another. Right. Okay, that's a problem. Yes. So how do you get around that problem? Well, the first thing Trump did, and it freaked people out, is he went away from the sort of uh, euphemistic script, the, the firm tone that essentially... Obama did this, George W. Bush did this, all options are on the table. And we mean all options to stop a nuclear threat, which means we might use nukes. Whereas Trump actually alluded back to Harry Truman, you'll see fire and fury like the world has never seen, you fat little rocket man. (laughs) Which I still love to this day. I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it. Decades of diplomats and scholars and presidents and senators and people all over the political spectrum have tried to solve this North Korea problem, essentially a Cold War with one of the last Stalinist regimes on Earth. You know, they try this delicate language, they try the firm language, they've tried negotiations, they've they've tried, you know, military threats. And Trump comes along and goes, fat little rocket man will not possess nuclear weapons. We will utterly destroy North Korea. That's what he said to the U.N. And everybody's mocking him for saying this. And it gets him to the table. It, it got him to the table, but at the same time, it's like there, there are whispers of reports that they didn't stop nuclearizing. They increased their nuclearization. They right. didn't stop tests. They just got smarter at them. Maybe, maybe not. And then you've got Russia, who's sitting in the corner giving them everything they need. In terms of technology, enriched uranium. Right. It's it's like... Well, see, but when I read these... Uh, when I read this sort of situation, the average man on the street does not know what's going on at that summit, especially behind closed doors. We'll see what happens in Vietnam this week. Um, what this realist school that I tend to follow is saying, signed a peace declaration ending the Korean War. Continue that's that's to, a step in the right direction. Exactly. Sure. Continue to build, and what's they said, you should notice, in the last month or two, Kim Jong-un has changed his propaganda to his people to paraphrase it. Essentially, great sacrifices should be made for peace. He's kind of laying out the predicate of, I'm going to sign a peace accord, which is, I, I don't know, you have to, be, he, ha, he himself has to be careful because he's not just the only guy running things. You have a whole military structure, you have a whole government structure that wouldn't want that. Literally the only thing keeping him in power. Right. So I, I tend to think that would be a good step. Uh, I think beyond just President Trump, I think the 
President Moon of South Korea has done incredible things to move the conversation forward. And there's a lot of weird cultural formal things that I think Americans wouldn't see that Moon and Kim Jong-un are trying to achieve. Yeah, I, uh, and, you know, I, I could be totally wrong here, but part of me thinks that the United States hasn't really done a stellar job of listening to the South Korean perspective on this. Right. You know, especially just a normal layman that lives in Seoul. Right. Right. And in there, in the strike zone. Oh, they're definitely in the strike that zone. That is a... If there was ever a sword of Damocles, mm-hmm. I think being in the blast radius of a nuclear fallout, let alone the initial explosion, is... That's sort of Damocles. And it's... I think, though, it's to everyone's benefit and like you're saying did they speed up did they get smarter with their nuclearization i mean what's clear is there haven't been any more rocket tests so to speak only that we could detect in a way that the public would know about right so you could you could have a rocket test and as long as it doesn't set off any richter or not richter uh, as long as it doesn't radar no richter yeah the earthquakes oh if you were actually doing blast tests yeah if it doesn't set off those, those are publicly available to us where we could say, wow, like a normal human being, not someone oh, so with a security clearance. They might be testing warheads and things underground. I meant like delivery systems, like these ICBMs that were being launched over Japan. Like oh, yeah. They, that has completely stopped. Yeah, they probably purchased some. That's completely stopped. But when I hear, because I don't know, again, this is the position I'm in. Like when I hear they're speeding up or they're maybe going underground. I'm like, wait, where? who's leaking this very classified information? And why, is what I would say. And there is, it can go multiple ways. China and Russia have long seen North Korea as a very uh, convenient buffer against the United States and South Korea. But there have been arguments in both those countries that if North Korea actually gets... They like the threat of a nuclear North Korea. Mm-hmm. The reality of North Korea actually being able to carry out nuclear attacks, they're starting to think, oh, that could be a problem for us, too. Because mm-hmm. what if a nuclear blast goes on on that peninsula? They, they make that face. Yeah, what if they start... I mean, it gets you know blowback on us because we've supported them uh, covertly for so long. So I think there's plenty of appetite to do something, and China is realizing, and hopefully China realizes, that uh, this is all part of a larger game the United States is playing of, we don't want to kill each other, China. We will. And we're not going to talk about the South China Sea right now, because that's the issue that pisses us all off a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, we might start fighting over the South China Sea. <laughs> so we're not going to... We just... The, our Navy just... Uh, one of the one of the ships that we have just sailed through a strait. Yeah, and China is upset. Oh yeah. Well, this goes back to when there was some this dispute has been over for a long time. Yeah, there's a dispute over Taiwan in the mid '90s, and uh, now there's been a long running dispute over Taiwan. But there is I can't remember the exact thing, but there was a particular like political hotbed over uh, Taiwan, and it might have been U.S. relations with them. And what Bill Clinton did as president is he moved two aircraft carrier groups just into the Straits of Taiwan. And it, the Chinese couldn't do anything about it. Thus, their impetus in the last few decades of these man-made kind of bases and islands that they're putting out there, they're expanding into the South China Sea. 
But that's an issue that is probably the most complicated. So what can you work with China on? You know, as boisterous and as bombastic Trump seemed to be when he was little rocket man and all that crap, fire and fury. Before Trump ever said anything to the public, the reportage goes Trump brought up North Korea with President Xi of China at Mar-a-Lago when she visited and brought that up immediately. You know, made clear how much he doesn't like the regime, that he is willing to utterly destroy North Korea and all the lives lost in that process. Uh, but that wouldn't be good for China. And it's just in the long run not good for anybody, not even the United States. So let's do something about this. So China has seemed to be somewhat on board. They have to be... Uh, they have to be careful themselves. You can't completely capitulate in yeah. the face. But it's always funny to see them sort of tug on the leash. Right. Whenever Oh, North Korea gets too out of hand. Yeah. And they're, oh, yeah. they're always like they're always like, all right, come on. Right. Stop. And then another issue though that the US can work with China is these trade talks. And luckily it looks like that I guess the Sanctions that were supposed to come down have been postponed because the well, talks are rather doing well. Than, rather than having the talks, though, Trump was just like, we're having talks. And China was like, nope. And Trump said, okay, tariffs. Right. And it was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, and then it's hurt their economy pretty badly. Uh, yeah. um, they've got their... Uh, Us, too, if you're a soybean farmer. Oh, yeah. They're, they're a particular... Or work in the solar industry. 20%, by the way. That's how many jobs have been lost in the yeah. solar industry. Yeah, tariffs are not good. Because of well, the tariffs. It's just a basic thing. It's taxes. Like, taxes on items coming in and out of the country are taxes on Americans, and particular industries are targeted, and it hurts really bad. And for the longest time, I criticized the president on this until it came to the that G7 or G20 meeting in Canada where a report came out and everybody's like ready to tell Donald Trump. All these heads of state are ready to lecture Donald Trump, whether it's Justin Trudeau or Angela Merkel, Germany. And I would rather get lectured by Merkel than Trudeau. I agree. Uh, yeah, Merkel seems a little more serious of a character than Trudeau does. But... No matter who's doing the lecturing, they were all prepared to lecture the president on how bad protectionism is. And Trump, and this is where I'm starting to go, this guy, and this is what the North Koreans said after the first summit. He's either a genius or he's insane. Trump in that G20 meeting said, well, we should at least consider the option of no tariffs or barriers whatsoever. And Trudeau, and apparently the room was taken aback, and Trudeau, Trudeau just piped up with... Well, what about uh, subsidies? <laughs> and it's like they were not expecting that crap. So if the goal is raise tariffs until you lower all your tariffs, yeah, there's some method in that madness and in that terms of negotiating. I think China gets it. But so if you can work with China, clear-eyed, hardball, it takes forever to work with them. They're very formal in their negotiations. And God forbid one of their peoples does anything in your country that requires you to arrest them. <laughs> because it will interrupt anything else they have going on for them to condemn you. Well, and that's I'm another... Looking at you, Canada. You did the right thing and now China is upset and with I thank you for this it. This is the Huawei CEO? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other then, field. Yeah, and then China went and arrested like seven Canadians in the country. Right. At some point, now this this probably sounds ridiculous, but if you're in a foreign country and you're in a visa or, or something of that nature, and you're not subscribed to your State Department's like mailing list, mm -hmm. that 
if the situation in China, if you're Canadian, if you didn't know that you better mind, you, you better quadruple check your yeah. P's and Q's. Right, and, and dot those lowercase J's. Right. It, something was going to happen. So there are seven Canadians out there that were probably like, did I, get, did I miss the memo? <laughs> Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, China. Uh, no more goodness. illegal maple imports, eh? Yeah, so, I mean, but on multiple fronts, if the Trump administration can get something done on North Korea, it's not only a huge, I mean, advancement for the Korean Peninsula and the people of Korea, but it's a huge first step in, okay, we can work with China and get something done on the international stage. Mm-hmm. And if you get a trade deal on top of that, okay, we can work with China in many ways. And what that allows is not just the, the principles of the matter, not just President Xi and President Trump. It is their teams get to know each other. They build more trust. They build a certain rapport. They will never completely trust each other because they're rivals. But if you get people that know where they stand and how they work, how they think and work through complex problems, it makes those really difficult problems like, say, cybersecurity, like... You know, China's stealing our intellectual property. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. They are. They are. But good luck with that. They're like one of the major facets of their culture is to do anything to be successful. Thus, right. cheating is like even on their national or it's not. Yeah, their nationalized testing. You, you, A lot of cheating. It's yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. I didn't know that. It's huge. But then, so to them, taking someone's intellectual property reverse engineering it or just straight up stealing it is a good thing right you see it and like i'll go to soccer on this you see it in certain soccer nations where histrionics and diving is a huge part of the game oh just somebody it's just a way to get an advantage and that is celebrated especially like the italian leagues where they yes but the italian leagues they've like Their games even... are often boring because they focus so much on how to structure a defense. Mm. Like if if you're like a if if you're like a basketball guy and you like watching basketball for ball movement, mm-hmm. or rather how a team responds to ball movement, whether it be with like a double team, full court press, or whatever, <laughs> like you'll love Italian soccer. Right, it's a bunch of like maneuvering without anybody doing much of anything. Exactly. Okay. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, he banked it. Or, or oh no, he fell over. You didn't touch him. The guy next to you didn't touch you at all, but you just flopped all over the field. Get the ice spray. The ref blew the whistle. We're having a free kick from I don't know, fifteen <laughs> meters out. It could go in. So you bring in up this exaggerated sort of, uh, like, oh, I've been hurt, I've been hurt, I need to be alleviated. Like, well, how does this apply I, to China? I bring that up as a way to get an advantage. Mm. So if you could successfully fool the referee into blowing the whistle and giving a foul, right? you have thus gained an advantage. You can do that in anything from, like, stopping momentum to actually getting just like a free shot on goal. China, by stealing intellectual property or reverse engineering things or just just straight up ripping off other people's stuff, has gained an advantage. They can now make that product, they can do it cheaper than the parent company, and they can do it on another name, and thus they steal some market value right? from whatever it is they've taken. And then you've got the whole social credit system, which has has been implemented, and now... A lot of people can't get plane tickets because their social credit system's low. That's straight out of a dystopian novel or Black Mirror episode. Yeah. That is, I mean, I think everybody's heard about it, but essentially you get a social credit score 
uh, given your behavior in China. The higher um, your score, the more you're able to do. The lower your score, the less you're able to do. And with that comes certain social responsibilities. Like you will not see someone with a high social score fraternizing with someone with a low social score. Right. So who knows? Maybe the whole point of this is for them to create their own version of Aladdin. <laughs> Sorry. But I was reading about Confucius this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, and Confucianism, it actually sounds like that, just applied with modern technology. Yeah. There's no bright red lines between the individual and the collective like we might set up in the West. Like the individual is supreme. Or and, celebrate, yeah. Or I mean, we, hopefully we continue to celebrate it. There's some people on the left that would want to put the group above the individual. I think that's mistaken, to put it lightly. Uh, but, you know, China, they don't even make that distinction, really. It's more like how, yes, they want you to be a good person, and they have a particular word for that, and be fulfilled with you as a person, but that is always consider, okay, how do you treat your family? How do you treat the community? How do you treat the state and the authorities? Say, how, do you, how do you treat the party? And, going, and now with the communism thrown in, how do you treat the party? How do you live up to the leader now, President Xi? But what's interesting is... She uh, came in and he cracked down on so-called corruption, which was actually playing into his whole program. That I am not some corrupt. I am, I'm a dignified guy, and that's big in China. Like, there's this. It's it's, it's a joke, though. I agree. Because rather than cracking down on corruption, he just absorbed it and made it good for right. the party. Oh, of course. It's. But what? how did how did you not I'm see that? I'm more getting into the propaganda aspect Sorry. of it. That that's okay. If you can display, I'm a moral ruler, not just a powerful ruler. He can have more sway. And now you need to follow almost every little rule we put down in order for the whole thing to work. Going all the way back to our dead ancestors and leading us towards some greater heaven, even though it's officially atheist. I mean, the Communist Party of China. There is a, There's a Confucian influence. Yes, and it's undeniable. There are other influences in China, of course, but the, it's very clear. After just reading the basics yesterday, you saying that about the social scores, it makes a little more sense. It's like, where would that come from if you want to look at almost every aspect of somebody's life? And it's like, oh, well, because every aspect of life interconnects with the other aspect. And I don't disagree with that. I just don't think it should be enforced by the state. Um, you get a thing. lot of bad consequences. If, let's say, you're doing something that's not good for the state. Right. But you do that exact same thing, and it is good for the state. Example, stealing intellectual property. Say, one is you steal it for a state-owned company, and another you just steal it for yourself. Right. One's going to raise your social score. One's going to lower your social score. So the it's like the the membrane of how the social score functions is relative to the party rather than relative to the entire collective well, this of people. This has been the problem with the history of like aristocracies and they essentially yeah. set up, it's not that the best are rising to the top, which I have no problem with. Um, it's And there's not even a, an option for that to happen, that for somebody to change his stars, to quote a fun movie. It, like People can change their stars, they can actually come from nothing and be incredible models of life. But it's more like, no, we have the power, and we're going to kind of rig the game in our favor. And that happens, I think, with every government in human history. Um, but to do it explicitly in the name of being a good person, good family member, good community member, good party member, like, it, it starts to get... I see where it comes from, but I think it's so dangerous. And uh, China, economically speaking, 
they've grown leaps and bounds, but they are going to have some issues going forward. And good luck keeping that country together, um, moving away from that centralized economy more and more towards a market economy. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Maybe maybe it's being raised American, but I, I could not imagine not resisting the shackles in place in China. I think it is being raised American. I think that's the American in you talking. And, and I would say the same thing. Like, if, and if sh- it was like, this is going to lower you, so I don't care. Right, and, well, and I'm sure there are people in China who feel that way, too. There are some beautiful traditions in China that mm-hmm. are very much about, no, don't respect the state. Like, it's about individual freedom, essentially. But those people are being snuffed out. I mean, famous bloggers, reporters, artists, yeah. a lot of them have been snuffed out. That's what is that? Uh, the media is called the fourth estate. I think so. Or is it state or yes, yeah. estate? Fourth estate. Yeah. Yeah. So, if if it's not along party lines, you're not getting it in China, at least here. Yeah, not publicly. At they least will, here you'll get at least almost two sides. To well, and story. they but they will allow because they get it. Uh, they will allow like in the universities in a setting like a party setting like the commie party setting they'll allow for freedom of thought as long as you've established I'm I'm a good communist so like on issues of North Korea we can disagree over what's the best way for the party because our survival depends on it we gotta talk this out Yeah, and that's allowed but what's interesting is I can't remember the name of it it's some famous school in China where all the major commie party leaders have come from in the last 50 years it's unreal to have all your people plucked from that. But is it that strange? How many people that have been presidents came from Ivy League schools? It's true. So, I mean, there are, there's always these inside clubs, so-called secret societies, all sorts of crap. I, I think sometimes the, like the Bohemian Grove stuff goes a little too far. It's fun to talk about. Like the secret society, like what are the Masons up to? And yeah, yeah. But then, mean, then you have you. They're not even secret societies. You just have things that are named very peculiarly. Peculiarly, yes. I, that's a different. They have their own unique symbols like, and uh, language and how to carry out rituals. Like, like and, that, the Habsburg group. Mm-hmm. That's four ex heads of state that are in the UN currently. Really big right now. They get named a lot in the Mueller report. Oh really? Well, I. The Mueller reports are not out. Well, that's another but thing Mueller, that we're anticipating. Mueller has that in so far his documentation. That's what to reporting the is right. saying. The Habsburg Group. That doesn't that family like? Didn't they just run Spain and many dynasties for a long time? Right. And you named yourself that. <laughs> Your four ex heads of state. Well, that's it. Makes sense. Make it the most boring name. Yeah. Ever. That's true. But I. So we touch on North Korea. That's the big. What everybody's anticipating, what's going to happen? I well, hope, uh, especially since they met today, right? Or and, he and traveled there today. They're meeting, I think, tomorrow, like publicly. And I hope a peace declaration comes out of it. Take the risk. Like I think it's a good thing to declare a war that's essentially been a cold war since 1953 is now over. We can now move. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how prickly the DMZ is, right? Or, or what. When you, if you sign a declaration ending the war, what do you do to the DMZ? Well, there's already been symbolic moves. Like, they've taken down some towers. They've had troops crossing it. And, like, there's been cooperation on, a, again, a symbolic level. The DMZ is still very real. But that's like a... It's all baby steps. Keep building on it. And I think a peace declaration would move a long way for Kim Jong-un on his side of the, the ledger 
to be able to start making the case to his people. And it's not so much his people, but the his military and his advisors. Yeah. Make them feel comfortable where they're not capitulating. And it's it's always the the very nuanced dance in these sorts of negotiations. Like you don't want to give away too much or you'll be appearing weak, but you you don't want to be completely stringent or you're now making a deal like a mobster. Like and, and from a humanitarian perspective, you like if you're the United States and you're trying to baby step this in a good direction, you're not gonna like provide humanitarian aid to North Korea because if all of a sudden they have access to like pork, pork you know they're going to be like what what is this yeah well you know look at Kim Jong-un's fat ass you know that guy's had some he pork. might get pork but he might have pork but the people don't yeah well some animals are more equal than others and then what animal farm says but the Mueller report's coming up, and it'll probably drop next week. The, not next week, maybe no, the week after. No, the media always... Uh, Jumps the gun on this? Yeah, that wasn't what I was going to say, but yeah. And then it, it was like, they're moving all these documents out. And then it turns out that he filed an 800-page right. sentencing, of which 25 pages of it was actually words. The rest were, like, documents. Right, and citations. Yeah. Man, and- Manafort... Oh, screwed. Manafort screwed. Good uh, riddance. But I'm worried that, and we'll talk about it after the break, the the politics of it, the Democrats are, and some of the people that were around when this first got going, like Brennan and Clapper, they're already moving the goalpost. Like, I went on an epic rant last week where it's like, wait, I thought the Mueller report was like the standard for this discussion of Russian collusion. And, uh, no, they want to change that now. Well, even if Mueller doesn't find anything... Anyway, we'll talk about it. That and Venezuela. After this, just enjoy some fruit here. Joey Clark. saying off air that one of the big anticipated things by the media this week is the drop of the Mueller report. Now it gets all technical. Like as Troy, you're just saying off air, there's no 
rule and the special counsel's rules. And on Meet the Press this weekend, they actually had the guy who wrote those rules, the lawyer, the Democrat lawyer did. And he said, yeah, we didn't feel like it was necessary, number one, because we wanted to protect sources and methods, that a special counsel could get into very classified things. So we don't want that being put out to Congress. It would be, you know, leaked like hell. But I'm pretty sure Barr, the new attorney general, will have to give Congress something. Or else they might very well subpoena... They'll just subpoena Mueller. Yeah. And maybe that's the best thing for the country. Subpoena Mueller, have him talk to these people in Congress. That's going to be anticlimactic as well. Because mm-hmm. he's going to be like, I can't... And that's the it one was thing... redacted in the indictment. It's going to be redacted here. Right. Well, the, but I, I wonder if they would accept... Like, I cannot give you the details in a public setting... It's confidential. But I would say my summary is not what y'all are claiming. There's not some deep conspiracy and collusion. There were a lot of bad actors, and there was the standard looking for political dirt. And what I worry about, I'm not saying that will happen. What I'm worried about is if Mueller comes to that type of conclusion, in particular, you know, Paul Manafort, we were just talking off mic, is done. And he's kind of always operated this way. I don't think he ever thought a light would be shown on all the stuff he's done, not registering as a foreign agent, evading taxes, working with all sorts of different corrupt parts of Eastern Europe. I mean, it's... His first job was, like, working PR for a dictator in Africa. Right. So it's like, okay, I don't think Manafort realized he was ever going to be in the crosshairs, so to speak, of a special counsel, especially like Robert Mueller. But... Say that Mueller comes out and it is anticlimactic. There are people already kind of laying down their story. Well, even if that's the case, uh, I mean, Trump still could have. And it's... Exhausting. Yes. Because now we've just completely jumped the shark of we had this standard of the Mueller report and the conclusions it finds. That's why if, if, if the left were smart and not like puppy dogs with red rockets, <laughs> they would stay shut. Just yeah. keep quiet and, can't and let that. Mueller do his thing. It reminds me a lot of when Republicans kept doing the Benghazi thing. I kept trying to say to people, and actually Trey Gowdy of all people said this, focus on the fact that we went into that country without any congressional approval. Like, the only international body approval we had was to create a no-fly zone, and we, like, actively overthrew a government in Libya. That should be the investigation of how the hell did that happen? Who made those decisions? Yeah. Instead, we're focusing on one night in Benghazi where it does seem like there was some weapons swap that went wrong or some militia got word, and that was investigated. Well, I was going to say investigated to death. It was investigated pretty thoroughly, but people kept insisting, no, what was Hillary doing that night? What was Barack Obama? And I'm like, that way of thinking is not going to be fruitful. Number one, if they did do something, you're not going to find out about it. Nope. Number two, it probably didn't go down that way. That that one night in Benghazi is a symptom of a larger problem of American foreign policy. And that should be the critique, what you're actually emphasizing. I think that would be fruitful. What, what I don't hear enough of, specifically regarding Benghazi and her emails, mm-hmm. is, yes, I understand what she did was wrong and it goes against so many things that in this country we are raised to think is the right way to do things and yep. she didn't do that she would be in jail if she was a lower officer let's That's, say in the military there if people realize be. that there are different rules for different there are people and it, it's frustrating it as hell. sucks 
I hate it. I get so angry talking about her emails. I do. Right. But I've got to realize, like, I can't, do with I, I can't do anything about it. She got away with it. It was dumb to begin with, and then she got away with it. Yep. And then she tried to take the presidency, and she lost to Donald Trump. <laughs> I still laugh about it. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> and I think, in particular, I look at Hillary Clinton... Like I'm glad Trump's president. The more if, I look back on, on on like foreign policy, on economic policy, on a lot of things, I'm glad Trump's president. If I'm in charge of decision making in the left, like if I'm in that party and I'm mm-hmm. in charge of decision making, I'm going up to Bernie and I'm apologizing. Bernie Sanders? Yeah, that guy. Well, uh, what's your name? <laughs> what? What's your name? Girl name? Troy. Troy. Let's do a hypothetical here. Are you trying let's to imitate do, Bernie Sanders? Let's do a hypothetical here. Okay. Well, you are not Tom Perez, that a-hole, running the Democratic Party, the Democratic National Committee. Now, you, Troy, a man of one name, you are going to be coming up to me. What would you say to me? I'm sorry Hillary stole your thunder. Oh, she stole more than my thunder. Yeah, she took your votes, too. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, but I would, I would, for, I would apologize to him on the side, okay, and then I would look at Hillary and I would say, "Go away forever." <laughs> yeah, me stop. Too. As a matter of fact, deactivate your Twitter account and don't show your face again. Wait ten years, write a book, make some money off of that. Go ahead and plunder your Clinton Foundation. You'll be fine there, but go away. Oh, you should definitely tell her to go away because what she did. With the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz was unconscionable. They bent me over. It was rough. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready at all. And then you don't wonder I capitulated after the election and supported her. He was sore. I was sore. Sore loser. You sound like you sound like. Uh, was it? <laughs> if you if you ask me that question it's again, Saul Daniel, from Ocean's Eleven, you will not wake up the following well, morning. It's it's not a very distinct voice. It's just old Jewish guy from New York. <laughs> like that's all it is. No, and my impressions, by the way, folks, are not meant to be accurate. Like my Donald Trump is a little stupid and exaggerated. I have the best words. We're going to have a very powerful fence, not just a fence. Not just well built. It's going to be very powerful, a beautiful fence, even in its power. It's that's not exactly how Trump sounds. And then you know my impersonations aren't really accurate at all when I do my Lindsey Graham. Because Lindsey Graham just sounds like this. I I have never seen a war that I did not like, Troy. You know, I I remember being reared by my father back in the days when he was running the pool hall. Those guys, you know, sipping out of the taps and all those, the clicky-clacky of those, you know, pool balls clacking together. Oh, it just brings back the fondest memories. And you know what we don't do in Washington enough anymore, Troy? We don't drink enough together. Let's drink. Let's get Dionysian. Let's see what happens. And then we'll make decisions together the next morning. Like Lindsey Graham is, uh, he's an interesting guy. Since John McCain died... And they really were good friends. Lindsay's become much more outspoken. But it's the last thing people are anticipating this week. Venezuela. What to do. And my number one thing is, don't listen to Rubio, Mr. President. Don't listen to Lindsey Graham. Like, y'all put enough pressure on Maduro. Like, you can keep that pressure on. Please do not go to the military option. And from what I've read today, I don't think they will. They're Wait, gonna... Rubio wants a military option? Yeah. Uh, what? And maybe what? they're just talking tough, but, oh, yeah, they're all about, like, let's just get them out of there. 
If, I'm sorry. If I'm in the Joint Chiefs of Staff and, and Marco Rubio says you should use the military option in Venezuela, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I don't listen to a man that waxes his chest. <laughs> no such thing as a metrosexual hawk. Right. Well, apparently there is. Um, but I, I why hope... Not, why not the covert option again? I mean, right. Venezuela's already burning aid that's coming in right. from Brazil. Well, that's what's going to continue. The sanctions will stiffen. They're going to do more asset forfeiture and freezing assets of people in the current regime. They're probably going to continue to try to send humanitarian aid in. But from what I read today, the countries surrounding Venezuela do not want a full-throated military option. They want something done. They do not like what's going on in Venezuela. Right. Creating, a, like, Colombia, it's a ridiculous refugee crisis. But Brazil as well, yeah. Yeah, they, but they don't want full... I mean, they know how bad it looks, and so does Europe, so does Canada. Everybody who's demonizing Maduro now all understand how bad it would look if the U.S. went in militarily. It would look... It, and... There's terrible consequences. The invasion would be easy. There'd be no turning back the United States military if they decide to do something. But the cleanup afterwards, the pacifying of the country, would be insane because you ignite all sorts of guerrilla groups and pro-Maduro because it's a very rural country. It's another Afghanistan just in the southern hemisphere. Well, that's why the most elegant solution would be to support Maduro's opponent and recognize him as... The, the, yeah. the leader. And Mike Pence, Vice President Pence, today was meeting with Juan Guaido um, and their continuous support. And it's not just the U.S. It's pretty much every country on Earth. And if, if Maduro wasn't in power, I think the funny thing is is Pence and Guaido, or at least our, our president and vice president and everybody that runs the executive branch, they would probably really loathe Guaido. Right. Because he's really pretty far left. He's just not Maduro. But, and by the way, I want to circle back to something real quick. Okay. Talking about Russia. Like, the recent talk of we're ready for another Cuban Missile Crisis, where, uh, like, them saying they're ready to strike U.S. Uh, centers of decision-making, and then their propaganda media putting out, like, actual maps with targets. When you're faced with an enemy like that, an arrival like that, I really hope we're discussing it in centers of power in this country in a non-conspiratorial way. I hope we're discussing it very clear-eyed. Because if we, if for political reasons, it's something you said to me, I think, a long time ago. Hillary Clinton kind of, maybe you didn't, I've heard it. Hillary Clinton lit this fuse of, like, the election was stolen from her or rigged in some way. Whether it was Comey's report right before the election day or... Yeah, Russian collusion or something like that. She lit this fuse, and it it's a bomb that won't stop going off. Like this has become the maybe other than healthcare and the ridiculous Green New Deal and environmental stuff. This is the main thrust of what the Democrats are selling right now. Like on the national level, it's that Trump is corrupt, Trump is racist, Trump is all these things. He's a bad, corrupt man who worked with Russia. And if I'm up there as, say, a technocrat or an analyst trying to deal with a real Russian threat, like, please don't bring that talk into this room right now. Yeah. Let's, with clear eyes, deal with these guys yep. without, you know, questioning, like, maybe you don't think much of the president, but, you know, I'm working for the president and I, I'm really trying to solve this issue. Um, things like the INF Treaty uh, and other treaties that are coming up on being expired. 
it could bear fruit. Like with the INF treating, if you could get China roped in with Russia, that would be a huge game changer if you could get them under the umbrella of a treaty like that. But right now, it's a deteriorating situation. And I don't think the uh, conspiracy collusion talk takes us a great deal down the road of solving that actual real problem. I think it's more a political narrative. I don't think Russia would ever think they'd get this far. I agree. I mean, they're, what, what do we call them, psyops? Yeah. Have been so wildly successful. They've been playing partisan. They recognize how partisan and how divided American media is. It's like, hmm, how do we play into that? They've done it beautifully. I mean, it's it's sad and tragic how well they've pulled it off. They, they've peppered, yeah, you mentioned sadness and tragedy. They've peppered the sadness and tragedy of their own country. And they've, they've peppered it in our own. Mm-hmm. What's most disappointing is we fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Well, and it's always a line I come back to. George Orwell's favorite line of poetry, and it was written by William Blake in Auguries of Innocence. Uh, Truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can't invent. So what were the Russians doing? No, I don't mean truth with a capital T. I mean truth like say, like you, say you know like a couple and their relationship is on... It's not exactly stable, and you just start peppering in little truths. You don't tell them the whole story or everything that's going on. It's like, yeah, he said this about you the other day, and she said this about you. And you could play two people that are already suspicious of one another until they create their own hell, and you're not viewed really as the culprit. Or you're viewed as like, you were working with him, and no, you were It's a beautiful way to cause division. You sprinkle, like, if, in fact, Russia's the one behind the WikiLeaks hack, and they're the ones that put out that information. As far as we can tell, and that's, I think, part of what the conversation has lost. Was that true? Oh, yeah. Again, back to Bernie Sanders. Is, uh, a for lot me, the, the bigger question is, is WikiLeaks a clearinghouse for Russian intelligence, or rather, Russian disinformation? I don't know if that's been established. I know the U.S. government, and this is the weirdest thing to me, Troy. They're now classifying them as a non-state intelligence agency perhaps a better, whereas it's like perhaps a better phrasing for that would be that they're an intelligence aggregate right which would be what but an intelligence what, agency when, does. when is a, a institution that shares information to people in the public stop being say a press institution and becomes a non-state intelligence organization when when you publish something that it's too damning like no, just publish the things that are kind of damning, and we'll negotiate on this. Yeah, we didn't we didn't have any say in what got published. Therefore, you're an intelligence agency, right? Than the press, right? Whereas I don't think you would get things. And you know, I mentioned the bigger view on like the Benghazi investigation. To me, the bigger view on all this stuff going with Russia, the more it's come to light of what went on, is what the FISA court is allowed to do, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. I think Edward Snowden warned a lot of people about the capabilities of the intelligence community and how easy it is for them to collect and spy on Americans of all walks of life. Uh, just It doesn't take like proof like you have proof in a courtroom. It takes just a little bit of suspicion. And uh, how easily that process can be manipulated, even if you have good people as the judges there, yeah. is uh, a big problem that we'll probably be living with beyond Donald Trump or even this next election if nothing is done. Um, but that seems to be the things that unite Congress, like a strong intelligence agency to take away your rights at any moment, and uh, war all over the place.
No, it's lovely to see Congress coming together, isn't it, folks? Produce a fog of war, collect the assets that are hidden. Indeed. Well, it's been a show. It's been a Monday. We're done. We'll be back tomorrow night. <laughs>